Now, the lady who comes to Elisha, she's a widow. But she's not just any widow there in Israel. Her husband had been a part of the company of the prophets. Unfortunately, he died young. And he left behind him a wife, two young sons, and debt. Now, here's the ironic thing. As she comes to Elisha, and he was one of the ones who would follow Elisha and and serve Elisha and, and be a part of what Elisha was doing, he had devoted his life to the service of God. And doing so at this time in history was a very difficult task. And we don't necessarily from the scripture, the scripture doesn't tell us the attitude that she came to Elisha with. She may, obviously she would have been a broken woman. She was a woman who had faced life's disappointments. She was a woman who had all of her dreams and the things that she thought God was going to do in her life. And it seemed like everything was falling apart. You see, first of all, God choosing her husband not her husband choosing it, God choosing him. And I want you to understand that God chooses you and he chooses me and he calls us. And, and God's call was upon her husband's life. And as he followed the call of God upon his life, there was a lot of demonic assaults that were against him. It was not just an occasional difficulty. It was an out and out demonic assault against the people of God, and in particular, the men or the leaders, the spiritual leaders. There was an all-out attack against them. And this was the period of time that Jezebel was killing the prophets. And there was something about Jezebel, something about her spirit that caused even Elijah the prophet, after he dealt with her and, and interacted with her, he went away and said, begged God, God, let me die. After calling down fire from heaven, there was something so evil and demonic and so powerful about Jezebel's spirit that even Elijah the prophet, a man who could call down fire from heaven, a man who could pray that it rains and it rains and pray that it doesn't rain and the heavens would shut up the windows of heaven and the rain would not fall for years, except at his word. And yet Jezebel, there was something about her and this idolatrous worship and these demonic forces that were behind this that were so powerful. And the enemy at times wrecks havoc upon the people of God. I want you to know that there are times that, you know, the word says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. There are times when it's not just circumstances. There are times it's not just, oh, well, that's just my lot in life. There are times that you and I face out and out demonic attacks from hell. The enemy's trying to destroy you. The enemy's trying to steal your confidence. He's trying to steal your joy. He's trying to steal away your ministry, your anointing. He's trying to abort what God wants to accomplish through you. The spiritual climate in this era was so heavy. I actually, I drove through the areas. I went swimming in the areas right there and uh, when we were in Israel. And we drove us through and they said, this is where they say that Naboth's vineyard was in this region right in here in this area. And so with Jezebel, she would do whatever she could. So there's this spiritual climate, this spiritual attack. Then there is, this is a period of time whenever the people of God... God's chosen people, the one who he had selected for his own, 
the one who he loved and the one who Elijah and Elisha and this prophet loved. And they served them. They wanted them to return to God. And, and in this time, the people are so deeply involved in idolatry that you don't only have, here's the climate. You got a demonic attack. You have uh, Jezebel, who is the queen. So from a political or authoritative area, she's fighting against the work of God. If you look at our country today, and you see leaders who want to promote homosexual marriage, and you see leaders who want to promote abortion, I wonder what our spiritual climate is. Oh, I digress. You have the onslaughts of Satan, and then you have the people of God, God's chosen people, and their hearts have wandered off following idolatry. They've set their affections. Their affections have left the one true God, and their hearts and their affections are upon idolatry and pleasures. And so what you have here is whenever that happened, and you'll find it again and again throughout history of Israel, whenever the people's hearts drifted, the ministries suffered. Now, the ministries were still powerful. They were still anointed by God. But whenever the people's hearts drifted, the ministry and the Levites and the priest, at times they had to leave their calling. They left their calling to go and simply to provide for their families. And so we can understand that at this time, the people were neglecting the ministry. So this man, this prophet, and his family suffered. Can we just be honest? There's many ministries today that suffer because of idolatry. What do you mean, Pastor? Oh, well, we, I watch on TV and I see the minister with, you know, they do an expose on him and he has his own two f- yachts and he has his plane. And he lives in a $10 million house, and that's just one of his houses. And can I just tell you, whenever people follow after other things, those who are called by God, the ones who live like that are so few. There are many people who've been called to be missionaries who honestly can't stay on the field because of idolatry. People's hearts are following something else. There are many youth pastors and children's pastors who never are able to fulfill their call. There's many people who are supposed to be, they're supposed to be involved in full-time ministry and they're not able to do it or if they do it, they do it to the peril of their family because of idolatry. Well, what do you mean, pastors? Their people aren't bowing down and worshiping. Oh, yes, they are. Yes, they are. They're bowing down and worshiping every Saturday and every weekend when they go and spend the whole weekend away. Now, there's nothing wrong with you going and spending the weekend away. You know, you take a break. But when the vast majority of your time, every time you get a day off, when you neglect the things of God for that, that's idolatry. When you have something more important than God. And so what they have is you have people today It happened back then. It happens today. There's people who are called by God to spend their whole life. That's to be their vocation. Their vocation is to dedicate themselves to the work of the ministry. And they are unable to do it because of idolatry. Not their own, but the idolatry of the church. 
people desire other things. And they want other things and they choose other things because we know last week this, that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so this family, this woman comes, you got to understand, I want you to understand how she comes to Elisha. She comes a broken woman. She comes a confused woman. She comes a hurt woman. Her life has been ripped apart. Her dreams are gone. And it's only getting worse. She comes to Elijah and she says, your servant, your servant, Elijah, my husband, he's dead. We devoted our lives to the ministry. We gave ourselves to the work of God and he's dead. Not only is he dead, but his creditors are coming. Because he had devoted himself to the work of the ministry, because the people were living in idolatry, they made these sacrifices. I'm sure that he and his wife made these sacrifices willingly. No one twisted their arm. They felt called by God, and so they willingly made these sacrifices, and they said, this is what God wants us to do. And they make these sacrifices, but I'm sure that they probably didn't have much to start with. Whenever he dies... The creditor comes to collect. In that time, what the creditor had the ability to do is he could take, if you couldn't pay, he would collect the collateral that you had established. And if you couldn't pay, then he would collect you. And you would go and you would be his servant until you were able to pay off his debt. And if that was not enough, he would take your sons and he would take your daughters and he would carry them off into slavery. And they would be his servants, either until the year of Jubilee or until the time that you had worked off the debt that you owed. And this is what happens with this woman. Elisha asked her this question. What do you want me to do? Now, there's several things. First of all, I don't imagine in that time, the way things were gone, I don't imagine Elisha himself had necessarily a ton of resources that he could solve her problem. I think if he did, I think if Elisha had a big bankroll, he might have sold one of the paintings off of his office, the million dollars paintings he had in his office, and helped her with that. There, get a little sarcasm. But he didn't. Elisha was suffering with the rest of the prophets of God. He too was going through it with them. So he says to her, the next question he asks her is, what do you have in your house? Her reply is this, all I have is a jar of oil. Now, we don't know what happened. Perhaps she had already sold her possessions to pay off the debt. Perhaps the creditor had already confiscated the things that she had in her house that were of value. But her response is, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Now, oil was a commodity of value, but what she had of it was not enough to meet her need. They would use oil to light their lamps. They would use oil to cook with. Oil was a great commodity, something of great value, but she didn't have much. It was something that you could easily trade or you could easily sell. Now, you remember this? Remember from a few weeks ago that God asked Moses, Moses, what's in your hand? I need to go tell Pharaoh to let the people go. And God says, Moses, what's in your hand? Only thing Moses had in his hand was a common, ordinary walking stick. It wasn't something of great value. All she had in her house 
was a little jar of oil, a jar of oil. But God will ask us, what do you have in your hand? Because God uses what we have. See, God could have let, and at times God does this. At times God allowed the ravens to bring food in and to feed the prophet. At times God leads them out into the wilderness and plants them beside a dream and he lets ravens feed them. At times God lets things fall from heaven like manna and he provides. But many times God asks us a question. What do you have in your hand? Moses is all I have. You know, Moses, I have a stick. What's a stick going to do with a world leader? I might be able to get like two or three shots on him, but all the guards are going to then stab me. I, I, you know, what do you want me to do with the stick, God? Do I whittle it and make some kind of pieces of wood and sell them? I mean, to buy the people? What can I do with a common or ordinary walking stick? And what could this woman do with the little bit of oil that she had? Friend, it may not seem like it's enough. And what you have in your hand may seem insignificant. But don't be surprised when God asks you about it and when God takes what you have and makes something extraordinary out of it. At the end of this chapter, I've read through the Bible through numerous times. At the end of this chapter, they come to the prophets and they have a little bit of bread and he says, feed it to the people. And they're like, it's not enough. He says, do what I said. And he said, there's going to be enough left over when you're done. You're going to feed these hundred prophets from this loaf of bread. You're going to feed a hundred of them. And there's going to be some left over when you're done. So I just want you to think about what is it that you have in your hand? Then he gives her this command. Then he said to her in verse three, then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors Empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons, and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. Now, let's consider the mental state of this woman. I've devoted my life to the work of the ministry. My husband has devoted his life to the work of the ministry. Nothing has happened other than suffering. We've gotten further and further in debt, and I follow God. While the unrighteous seem to be prospering, I have devoted myself to following God. My husband has devoted himself. He was your servant, Elijah. When my husband dies, many of my dreams die with him. Although we didn't make much, at least I had a husband. He's gone. Now they're coming to take my kids. And all I got in my house is a jar of oil. That doesn't sound like a real positive outlook. But Elijah tells her to go to borrow these and to shut the door. The prophet told her to go out and borrow vessels from all of her neighbors. Now, after she collected the vessels, she and her sons were to go in and shut the door and begin pouring the oil into the vessels. This tells us a lot about what she expects from God. Her response described her faith. Because it doesn't make any sense to go out and borrow a bunch of vessels from people if you got two gallons of oil. 
Now, if she's dealing with this in the natural, if she's not expecting God to intervene, she could say, I know what I'm going to do. I can repackage this two gallons of oil into smaller portions and sell it in smaller portions at a higher price for the smaller quantity. But it's still not going to be enough to meet the need of her family. Now, she could have had all kinds of reasons why she does not do this. How many of you like to borrow stuff from people? I don't like to borrow stuff. There's sometimes I, when you have to, but I don't really like to borrow. I don't want to do that. I don't want to put people out. I don't want to ask people for things. I don't want to trouble people. And, you know, I don't want to break people's stuff and then have to return it or buy a new one. She could have said, I feel stupid for asking. She could have said, what am I going to do with these jars? She could have had all kinds of reasons why her and her son didn't do it. She could have gone and borrowed one Tupperware container. I know they didn't have Tupperware back then, but I'm sure that there was some lady in the neighborhood who found a new way of staying at home by selling her pottery and travel around and she would have shows with it and have her friends sell it. You know, I'm sure there was some way that they worked that out. So she goes out and she asked her neighbors, her and her sons go and ask her neighbors. And then the prophet said this, I want you to go in and I want you to shut the door. There's something significant, I think, about her shutting the door. This was going to be a private matter between her and God. This was not something for the whole world to see. This was a private matter between her and her provider. There's something else I want you to notice. I believe that when she shut the door, that God allowed her to determine in advance the limit of his blessing on her life. I want you to hear that again. I think that that there's something significant about her shutting the door in advance. That in advance, she determined the limit of God's blessing or God's provision on her life. God told her to collect the jars, then shut the door. She had to decide what she believed about God in advance what she believed about the word of the Lord from the prophet. She had to make a decision in advance because once the door was shut, that was it. It's done. A lot of times we want to make our decisions on the run. We want to make our decisions. We kind of want to like hedge our bets. Well, let me just see here, God. Let me just see here. When we grow up spiritually, when we really grow up spiritually, there's decisions that we make in advance because of what we expect from God. Not in a selfish way, but what we believe he is and what we believe he will do and what we believe he's capable of. Now, in advance, she believed, she made her decision of faith about her God. Now, she had every reason, she had every reason under the sun to collect very little. Didn't she? Wait a minute. Her husband had left a career. He'd left something behind to follow God. 
They had devoted themselves to God. And and not only does God not keep him alive, God allows him to pass. Not only does God, you know, we always say that God will always provide for us. But I'm going to sound like I'm a, I don't know what. But I'm just telling you that if God's economy and your economy are the same, it's like God always being on time. If he goes by my watch, I'm just, I don't mean, please don't, I'm not trying to be, don't strike me. Don't think I'm preaching heresy, but if we go by my watch, if we go by your watch, I want you to know God's been late. If we're using my time, if we're using what I can understand, if we're using my human comprehension, he says he won't put more upon us than what we can bear. If we're using my human comprehension and my human understanding, I'm telling you there are times that God allows more upon me and more upon you than what you can bear. If we're looking at it through the eyes of the flesh, her kids are getting ready to be taken from her. The only thing she has left in her house Perhaps a creditor came and took her chairs and and her table. And she's like, all I got left is this jar of oil. And they're going to come and take my boys. I lost my husband and now they're going to lose my boys. She had every reason in the natural to expect little. But she chose to obey the word of the Lord through the prophet one more time. When she shut that door, her and her sons had collected many vessels. Let me ask you this. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. As she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said, there is no other. Then the oil stopped flowing She came and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts, and you and your son can live on the rest. I preached a message on this years ago entitled, There's a Miracle in Your House. There's a miracle in your house. God says, what's in your hand? What do you have? What do you have whenever it's not enough? What little bit do you have? God can take that and make something of it. I have a question for you today. What do you expect from the Lord? You see, because what you expect from him and what you believe about God determines your decisions and it determines what you will receive from him. When did the oil stop running? The oil didn't stop running until that last jar was filled. God did not stop his provision until her level of faith had been reached. If she would have added 10 more jars... I believe with all my heart that the oil would have filled 10 more jars. If she would have used 15 less jars, I believe with all of my heart that the oil would have stopped 15 less jars. Because she expected, she received not only enough to pay off the debt, but to have enough money for her and her children to live on. Let me ask you this. What do you believe about God? What do you expect from God? Do you believe that he's a good God? Do you believe that he's true? Or have the circumstances of your life, the situations you've gone through, caused you to doubt in his goodness? Because you've experienced hard times, has it caused you to believe that the future, what the enemy wants you to believe is that the future is not good? 
The word says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Their plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Their plans to give you a hope and a future. And yet the enemy is constantly trying to snuff out our future. He's either trying to send demonic attacks to cause us to fall. He's trying to wear us down. He's trying to kill us and take us out of the game. He's constantly trying to thwart the future that God has for us. Or he's wanting us to doubt and not to expect and not to be able to receive the good things that God has in store for us. What we believe about God, our actions will reveal what we believe. Do we believe that tomorrow is going to be a better day? Do we believe that God's going to save our families? Do we believe that God's going to pour out his spirit? Do we believe that my future is going to be better because God has plans for me? Or do you believe that your best days are behind you? Do you believe that the ways that God's used you in the past, that those were the glory days and there's not much left for the future? If that's the case, that's a sad state of affairs for us. To live in the past, to live back in those days, friends, I believe until the day that God calls us home, I'm not saying it's always easy, but I believe until the day God calls us home, he wants us to be looking ahead for what he's going to do in our lives. Not looking in the past. Next week. We're going to be sharing with you about our Building a Brighter Future campaign. And you know what I'm going to ask you? I don't like to borrow people's stuff. I don't like to ask people to borrow their stuff. There are times whenever we get put in positions where we have to. And when I borrow people's stuff, I really like to return it better. Tim and Mark let me borrow their cars. Washed it, waxed it. Tim's got a wax job, got detailed, cleaned inside and out, sprayed the tires. Why? Because I want to return it better than what I got it. I don't want to take advantage of people. I don't want to abuse friendships or things like that. But when I look at the future, I'm in a position where I got to ask some people, can I borrow some of your jars? I don't like to ask you that. Really, I don't. I'm like, oh, crud. If I'm this woman, I'd probably be like, well, I don't know how you're going to do this one, God. And for a long time, I've hesitated to ask you, can I borrow your vessels? In myself, I don't have enough for the vision that God's placed upon our hearts for our church. It's clearly not enough. I need to borrow some vessels. We sing all these songs. I want to be a vessel you work through. I just want to be more like you. And we love, I want to be more like you. Jesus, I want to be more like you. And then someone asks to borrow your vessel. And we're like, ah. Hmm. I don't know if I want that. Can I tell you what I believe is going to happen? I believe that supernaturally, God is going to provide more than enough for us to accomplish the work that he's called us to. But I got to have more vessels. I have to. My vessels aren't enough. And here's the thing. If you give your vessel, can you imagine this? Imagine if whenever Jesus was riding into the city, before he went to go ride at the triumphal entry, and he sent people ahead, and he said to them, you're going to find a colt, and you're to get it. And when the people ask you, you need to tell them that the Lord has need of it. There again, for me, I'd feel a little awkward, like seeing someone's colt and walking up and starting to unhook it. Like, I would feel kind of weird. I'd be like, man, they're thinking I'm a, a donkey stealer. Out in the West, they used to shoot horse thieves. I don't know what they do with donkey stealers. 
But the, the response to the people was to be this. The Lord has need of it. Can you imagine how awesome it will be in heaven to know that you're the guy who let him use your donkey to ride in the triumphal entry into Jerusalem? Can you imagine how cool that would be? Can you imagine how humbling it would be to be the guy who he asked, they asked another guy, and he said, no, you can't use my donkey. You can't use it. Uh, No, no, that's not going to work. This is what I believe is going to happen. I believe that God's going to use some vessels that he's going to flow through. I need to borrow yours. Just telling you up front. I'm not going to apologize for asking you. This is what I think God will do. I think people will have bonuses. I think he'll provide raises. I think people will have business opportunities. I think people will have inheritances. I think God will provide supernaturally. Listen to me. He will provide supernaturally. And what he's looking for is a vessel. He's looking for a vessel. And so I'm asking you in the next little while, we're going to be talking to you about that. Can I borrow your vessel? Will you offer your vessels to God and say, okay, God, here, I'm going to see what you're going to do. Can you imagine how cool it would have been to see this woman who didn't have anything walking into the house? Like she should have borrowed a tanker is what she should have borrowed. And you know what? If she would have had the faith to do that, I think God would have filled that. I think if she would have had the faith to say, here's my tanker, God. I know there's other widows of the prophets who have a need. I think God would have done it. And I think this, I think if you put out your vessel before God, I think that he will flow through that and he will provide. And not only enough for you, and not only enough to meet our building program, but he'll provide enough to share. The scripture says this about the Lord, that he'll make us rich. That does not mean that, does not mean that we're going to be rich and drive Bentleys but that we'll always have enough to share. Isn't that a cool thing? Not just enough for yourself, not just enough to meet your own need, but you'll always have enough to share with someone else. Now, why are we doing this? We're doing it because of obedience. We sense that the Lord is leading us to expand our current facilities in preparation for expanded ministry and outreach. Some people will look around here and they'll say, well, pastor, look, there's fun. Look, there's a whole, st- what a terrible Sunday to do this message. We got like eight pews open. Why are you doing this today, God? You know what? I remember when we came and there wasn't near this many and I would sit and I would look about, we filled up about the first four rows probably. And I would sit and I would walk through the building and I'd pray and I'd pray over the seats and I'd pray, God, I pray that you'll fill them up. I pray that you'll fill them up, God. Lord, just please, fill them up with people who are hungry for you. Fill them up with people who are thirsty for you. We've got to have vision, folks. And I believe this. I believe that God's saying that our best days are not behind us, but our best days are ahead of us. And what he's asking us in advance is not what you see. Well, why do I need to do it? They can come at 8 o'clock, a bunch of lazy bums. Why don't they get up? I get up at 8. I get up here and get here at 8. They should get up. No, listen. In faith, because we believe that our best days are ahead, not because of us, because of our God. 
I believe that God wants to save people in New Holland and East Earl and Narvon and Bowmansville and Terry Hill and Churchtown and Leola. See, there's people who need to come to know Jesus. And I'm just betting this. I'm betting. I'm betting. I'm putting my wager that God is going to save people. And I believe that he's asking us to do our part. So out of obedience, we honestly desire to please the Lord and to follow the direction of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, I want you to shut the door. I want you to collect your jars. I want you to go in. I want you to shut the door. And after the door is shut, you don't get to make your choice afterwards. So in advance, we're saying, God, I'm believing you for more. You know what we probably need to do? We probably need to believe him for more than what we're believing him for. Because he's a God who's able to deliver. The second thing is souls. We're undertaking this project for the people who are not yet here. Your family. Anyone else have some family who needs the Lord? Someone have some neighbors? Some co-workers? Some friends? God cares about lost people and he's not willing that any should perish. And we believe that this new facility will be a ministry tool that God uses for years to come. This isn't for us. It's for years to come. Those who will be reached. Faith. God has blessed us in the past and has allowed us to see people to come to know Jesus as their personal savior and to grow in their relationship with him. And we expect God to use this church in the future. And we want to be prepared. Because of this belief, we're taking steps in advance to expand our ministries in an even greater way to touch our world and be a part of the great harvest. Because of the future. The fourth thing. We believe that God has an exciting future planned for this congregation. For your children and mine. This future involves relevant, attractive, and growing ministries to our community. And we recognize our responsibility to equip the next generation with tools and resources to carry on ministry for years to come. In the past, others sacrificed. In the past, others took steps of faith in order to provide a place of worship for you and me. We now have the opportunity to equip the next generation for even more effective ministry. We have the opportunity to prepare for them. What do we want to do? Isaiah 54.2 says, Enlarge a place of your tent. Stretch your curtain wide and do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. For you'll spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in desolate cities. What do we want to do? We want to equip the next generation for effective ministry. Now, we can do this. We can say, well, God, whenever you start to do it, I'll go get some jars. God, if you want to do it, you can drop it from heaven. But what I found so many times is that God requires faith. It's going to require faith for some of you to make your vessels available to God. You see, we do it in advance. We don't do it after the fact. That's not faith. We don't do what we can. That's humanism. 
doing what she can was her saying, I'll take my two gallons and I'll repackage it into quart-sized things or pint-sized things and sell it. And it still won't be enough and she wouldn't accomplish much. Faith requires us that before it's there, before the people come, before they get saved, before their hearts are hungry, that we make preparation in advance. If for no other reason, we got a generation of kids who are growing up. And before my kids were born, God told me that they were going to do greater things than I ever would. Like before they were born, he told me that. I was praying and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I don't know what all life will take them through and I don't know what their experiences will be and I don't know how long that will take, but I know that's going to be true. I know that God's going to do more through them than anything that I ever accomplished that will pale. I want to teach the next generation. See, I told you the other week, like Landon, I think Landon will build, you know, Landon's selling his, his things. We haven't started our capital campaign yet and an unemployed 13-year-old kid with no visible means of money. He set a goal of $1,000 for the capital campaign. And he's already hit 350 bucks before we even started. He sits at the house in the evenings and he cuts duct tape and he makes things. He has a little video out now. (laughs) If he gets here in time, he'll be sitting back here today. He said, Dad, I think we could, if we really try, I think we might be able to reach the $1,000 by Valentine's Day. And I was like, well, buddy, let's just keep shooting at it. He had me. I was his intern. <laughs> I'm not lying to you. Yesterday afternoon, I worked in the morning, come home, and all evening, I was cutting duct tape and folding it, and I have this whole thing set up. He's automated now, and he, he, he hired, get an intern in there. And, but you know what I think? I think... I think Landon's going to build a lot of churches. I think the young people in our church are going to build Bible schools and mission things. I think there's going to be a lot of things that they're going to be able to look back and say, remember what David said? David said, I killed the lion and the bear. And who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And you and I have a responsibility to the next generation to show them people of courage. And see, they'll step out and they'll be able like, I didn't even have a job and I raised a thousand bucks in like three weeks. Why can't we build a building? Why can't we fund a missionary? Why can't we start a new ministry? Because I've seen what God did in the past. Friends, you and I have a responsibility. You know, I watched my dad and and they built their church back home. And I watched that. The guys did all the work. You notice here at Lighthouse, we've always done all the work. Why? Why was that? I'm not even handy. Honest. I'm terrible at doing that stuff. Because I just saw my dad do it back home. They built a new church and did it cheap and all these things have a beautiful building. It still is a lovely building. And the guys just chipped in and did the work and it was a sacrifice. My dad was gone for two years, literally gone every night, except for uh, Saturday night. He was gone every day. He'd come home from work and go up and build a church, work on the church. I just think we have something to pass on to them. So I hate to ask you, But, and I don't like to do that, but Paul says, I want you to, when Paul talks about, see, I don't want you to be robbed of a blessing. And so by asking you, I'm going to be asking you, can I borrow your vessel? Can I borrow it? And will you allow God to fill it? The vessel that you choose to bring, 
the vessel you choose to present before God. And see this, I think we're going to have people who are going to have businesses take off. I think God's going to people, he's going to provide for people. He's going to let people, money's going to come in. If it's his will, he has to provide it. I don't know how I'll do it. It's too big for me. She didn't know. All she did is she collected all she could, went in and shut the door, and she let God do it. And that's what we're going to do. But I'm going to ask you, I need to borrow a couple vessels. Can we use some empty vessels? And let's see what God will do. Father God, I thank you today for the privilege of being in your house. And God, I thank you for this example of this widow woman who faithfully served you. And in her time of desperation, in her time of need, she had enough wisdom, enough common sense to believe the man of God and to believe the word of the Lord. Even though from the outside, people would say, well, she's been disappointed. She's been hurt. She's been betrayed. She's suffered loss. Yet, Lord, she obeyed and she collected all the vessels that she could. And, Lord, it's been a testimony for thousands of years. Thousands of years, men and women, untold millions of people, millions upon millions of people have heard her story and have received grace and faith as a result of it. And so, God, I pray that our story as we obey you in faith and as we step out in obedience, I pray that our story would be a story that goes far and wide and the generations who look on will be able to see the miracles that God does as we simply make our vessels available for him to fill. Lord, we'll give you glory, we'll give you honor, and we'll give you praise. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.